Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bring the Vegas gaming experience to the palm of your hand. Bet your favorite team, try your luck in a casino, or our poker room. The earliest sports lines and the biggest limits online. Lots of deposit options. Bet on live events as they happen. The next play, the next score. Get winnings fast or roll them into a parlay and win even more. Visit Bet Online today and see what millions of customers have experienced for over 20 years. On third and three, they protect Brady. Scans the field and lets it fly. It's Evans. It's a touchdown. This is the big nasty. Yeah, big nasty. All fame Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan, baby. This is Mike Allstott, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and you're listening to the Cannon Fire Podcast. Cannon Fire Podcast, brother. You ain't listening, and you're missing out. Woo! And then the cannons go. Fire them. Keep on firing them. Keep on firing them. Happy Victory Monday, and welcome back to a brand new edition of the Cannon Fire Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Rhett Matthew. Joined alongside me. My good buddy and co-host from BoxNation.com, Mr. Evan Wanish, joining us as well. Excited to get his take on the game from last Sunday. Former Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback, Sean King. We talked a lot about it on the post-game show yesterday. We'll get a little bit more into it now. An interesting game. Um, when you talk about comparing where the Bucs were in week four against Kansas City to week five at home against Atlanta, some things got better. Some things may or may not have gotten better. but. Uh, I think the thing everybody wants to talk about right now is the roughing the passer call at the end of the game. So just want to get this take out of the way because this has been the hot topic all day. And I feel like once, you know, we're 24 hours removed from the game, it's hard for me to sit here and milk this topic. But realistically, some people do see this as a call that affected the outcome of the game. I don't necessarily feel that way. Evan doesn't feel that way. But Sean, how are you feeling about uh, Jerome Boger's call in the final few minutes of this one? Well, I guess at the end of the day, no one will remember except did you win or did you lose? No one will remember the call for you, against you. So start off, they found a way to win. And, okay, hat tip to that. Bad call, but so was the defensive holding that they got on the same drive on the previous third down. You know, so – they got the calls this game. There'll be some games later where they won't get the calls, you know. That's probably the most, <clears throat> excuse me, frustrating part of the National Football League, and it's the one thing that I don't think they have any kind of level of consistency, and that's the calls are so drastically interpreted interpreted differently from game to game. I mean, what one crew is calling pass interference, another crew is letting DBs get away with felony assault. You know, and then another game, it's like the DB plays it perfect. And, you know, it, you just it, – it's all over the place. I don't know what roughing the pass is. Um, I think someone said Coach Dungey called the league and the league confirmed that uh, it wasn't roughing the pass. But, hey, man, when it comes to calls, I used to line up every week knowing, okay, probably will be five to six bad calls a day. Let's just hope we get half of them. Like, they go our way. That's just – it is what it is. That's the human part of it that you can't control. Yeah, and that that's something I brought up on the post game show, you know, last night. I said, you know, refs are bad. Like, you know, a lot of refs in sports, like they're gonna be bad. They're gonna miss calls, and and we all said, yeah, it was, it, I don't really think there's there's not many 
I don't think there there shouldn't be any, you know, saying that it was a good call. It wasn't. It, it was a terrible call. Um, that being said, you know, the refs also missed a, a blatant pass interference on the previous play. Yeah, on Scotty Miller. Yeah. So, you know, they missed that one and they called that one. On the Falcons' touchdown, Antoine Winfield was being held on the Falcons' touchdown, open up a wide open lane. They missed that call. Um, and they missed a few calls against the Bucks too. And um, there's going to be those. And just like, just like you said, I think a lot of players sort of go into it expecting that there's going to be some calls that shouldn't be called but will be, or there's going to be some calls that should be called that aren't. It be like you said, it's all about – that referee's discretion and and what they interpret as a, a penalty, um, and that's where I think you know the rule book's the rule book. But at the end of the day, it's it's that that cruise that that cruise decision, and uh, that's you know like you said the consistency. It is completely different from crew to crew, and and sometimes you'll get a crew that is more lenient with with pass interference, or sometimes you'll get a crew like oh yeah you better not touch them or, or else you're gonna get called for it. So. Um, it is what it is. Uh, it, it was a factor in the game. It was not the factor. Uh, I saw a lot of people, you know, people are acting like like the Falcons had the lead and the, the roughing the passer got the Bucks in a you know, field goal position to kick the game-winning field goal. The Falcons were still down six. So let's say the sack happens, it's not called roughing the passer. The Falcons still would have needed to go down the field and score a touchdown. So was it a factor in the game? Yeah, but like that game wasn't, like it wouldn't have been over. Like the the Falcons wouldn't have sealed the win right there. Um, So I I don't know why a lot of people are acting like the Falcons had the lead and that would have been the game-clinching play because it it just, it wasn't. Was it a factor? Yes, but it was not the factor in deciding the game. You know, Evan and Rhett, when I look at that play, I don't even care about the ref. The more concerning part for me is in a crucial part in the fourth quarter late of a game, our offensive line couldn't pick up a a TE stunt. Like that's the part that is alarming that in that situation, communication didn't happen. So they knew that the end was going inside, the tackles looping around, that they needed to adjust and pick the pressure up. That was the scary part. Like, I'm more worried and concerned about that than I was, you know, any flag that we got or shouldn't have gotten, you know, because those are going to happen. But mm-hmm. the communication issue up front, and I know we're going to get into the game, not being able to put away a team like the Falcons when you have a 21-0 lead. You know, I think it was Devin White saying something after the game that was really alarming when I think he, uh, I don't want to misquote him, so if you guys have the quote, and you can say it word for word, but it was something in the context like we got bored, or yeah, yeah he 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 was speaking to, to reporters after the game. And uh, Rhett, do you you have the quote there? Uh, I should have it here in a second. <clears throat> yeah, so he was speaking to reporters after the game, and and just like Sean said, he he kind of poor wording. I, I think I, I understand what he's trying to say. But it's just very, very poorly worded, and a lot of people kind of you know took exception to it. And you know, as Rhett looks for the, the the quote, the opinion that I had was, it's alarming for me because championship teams don't compete against right. the competition; right. they compete against themselves. They're mm-hmm. trying to be a better Get version better. of themselves yeah. every play, every series, every game, no matter who they're playing. The standard is the standard. 
Well, and also I feel like as a, as a defense, you know, and you played with some fantastic defenses. So, you know, you would know, and especially you're going up against them and practice every day uh, as a defense, you got to have like that killer mentality, you know, to, to, to put the game away. Uh, you know, you have a 21 point lead. Now I know the defense when Atlanta's first drive that they scored on, like Atlanta started with the ball past mid- midfield. So like that, that's a, that's a tough situation there, but um yeah, like make the plays to yeah, end it. You know, don't don't let Atlanta come back at all and or have any chance. And um, you know, that's a defensive job there. So the quote from Devin White uh, talking about the Falcons comeback late in that game, he says, "quote When you're beating a team, kind of imposing your will on them, it can get boring, and you can tend to get less aggressive." End quote. So yeah, I can totally understand where people would see that as concerning, considering that. You know, we've come to the conclusion that this Bucks defense, when they won the Super Bowl in 2020, could be touted as one of the best in the league. But so far this year, they've been good. But when you get railed like you did last week against Kansas City, a lot of people are going to remember that. And you start to wonder, man, two, three, four weeks from now, when the Bucks are back to playing tougher opponents, how well is that going to age? And let's be honest, guys, good teams win, great teams cover. Let's not... Not talk about the elephant. I in think the room. I think I, mean, the, I think the Falcons the covered this week too. Are by ten, they're up twenty one, and they don't cover. And what they don't understand now, half the people in the stadium are just there in the hopes that they win. The other half <laughs> want them to actually win and allow them to pay for those tickets. that's true but i mean now uh just a a little bit of a a betting thing here atlanta is now five and oh this season against the Reds. so if if you want to see betting trends maybe pay close attention to uh the lines when atlanta plays if you would have told me atlanta would come in with no kyle pitts no cadell patterson and it would be a six point game with two minutes left in the fourth i just like that's alarming to me and i know it's hard to win in that league but I, I, my, my expectation, you know, my standard for this particular group, because I think it might be the last year that this group is together as we know it. Mm-hmm. You know, we've already started to see some of the Super Bowl pieces move on. And, uh, Sue isn't there. JPP got a sack last night. You know, and I know we're going to talk about some of the young, young players. You mentioned that earlier, Red, because I did think Joe Tryon for the first time, you know, looked like, he had uh, flashed some some high-end pass rushing capabilities because we need that from our front four. I don't think we've consistently gotten it. So, you know, some opportunities there. Uh, Rashad White, you know, you started to see him flash a little bit. You know, um, I'm sure we're going to talk about all that. I, I am concerned that it seems that we struggle for explosive plays. And it's hard in this league to put eight to ten plays together, together every time to score points, I think it's the biggest issue with the Indianapolis Colts. You know, they don't have explosiveness at wide receiver. And uh, when you can't throw it under 10 yards and have guys athletic enough to turn those into chunk plays, you know, now you have to not have false starts. You have to convert a lot of third downs. You saw early in the game we had fourth and short. You know, uh, I wouldn't say Leonard Fournette necessarily ran in with the most – enthusiasm I've right. seen to pick up that yard, you know, but you're going to be in those kind of situations when, you know, you're trying to dink and dunk it, you know, down the field. Here's the most frustrating thing to me when you talk about the explosiveness, you know, any in Indies receivers. Yeah. Like it's Michael Pittman and then a bunch of random guys. 
Like the Tampa receivers we've seen in the past, we've seen Chris Gowan be explosive. We've seen Mike Evans be explosive. So I think that's the more frustrating thing to me when you're lacking explosives because you know this group can do it. It's just they haven't been able to do it yet this season. And that's that's the the frustrating thing to me. Um, I was more disappointed with the fourth quarter offense than a defense, but uh, we'll get into you know some of the other stuff as we go on here. So while we are talking about the offense and your thoughts from the game, you had mentioned it when talking about that Grady Jarrett sack from late in the game. But Luke Gedeke, along that offensive line, we know that coming into the season after losing Ryan Jensen and then the retirement of Ali Marpet, it was going to be a makeshift group of guys. You know, your front five so far this season has been okay. They haven't been god awful. They haven't been the best in the league or at least comparable to that like they have been in recent seasons with Jensen and Marpet available but Luke Gettick, he, I mean, he had a rough game. I, I know Brady kind of made up for it by getting the ball out quickly, but he was definitely feeling the pressure Sunday against Atlanta. What do you make of this rookie so far? I know that there's going to be growing pains. He's a young offensive lineman who just went from playing at uh, Central Michigan, if I'm not mistaken, to now blocking for Tom Brady. And he has had an absolute gauntlet these first five weeks of the season as far as the defensive talent he's been facing. But uh do you think it's going to get better? Do you think the Bucs maybe need to readdress that position at some point, or are they just going to let it ride? Um, I mean, I I mean, I think you kind of have to let it ride. Look, he's a second-round pick, um, so you've invested a high draft pick in him. And I'm not saying a draft pick is the reason. You know, because if a player's not productive, the player sits. But I've seen – yeah – Sunday wasn't – I think Sunday actually might have been Gedeke's worst uh, start of, in the NFL. I think he's played a lot better. Um, it's just Grady Jarrett was just really getting the best of him consistently. Even like on the very first play of the game uh, from scrimmage, Tom Brady had to kind of throw it in the dirt because, I mean, Gedeke just got blown, you know, got blown over there. And um, it, he, had, he had a rough go of it. Uh, there's been some – He's had some tough assignments, obviously. Chris Jones last week, Gray Jarrett this week. Those are two really good players. Kenny Clark the week before that. But um, I think on, on tape, he has looked a bit better. But you can also tell that this is a rookie who um, is, like you said, is from a smaller school and is playing on a big stage now in big moments for a team trying to win. If they were in a rebuilding year, like that's different. You know, then you, you go with the growing pains and you just hope he develops. But the Bucks need him to be productive. And Robert Hainsey, the one, the two biggest question marks on the offensive line were Robert Hainsey at center and Luke Gedeke left guard. Robert Hainsey seems to be, you know, really earning a lot of trust there. He's been pretty solid early on in the season here. Hopefully, he can keep it up. But Gedeke's really starting to, you know, hit that rookie wall, and and, and he's struggling. And so, I, I don't think you, you may get changed because I I think he's shown you enough. He's shown you some glimpses. Um, but, you know, I think that he definitely needs to be better because right now it destroys the flow of an offense. And one guy on an offensive line getting beat specifically up the middle really hurts this offense. And um, I think Gedeke needs to be better, but I also think he will be better. Like I said, I thought Sunday was probably his worst performance. So hopefully he can just put that behind him. You know, <clears throat> you can't replace him because if they had anybody better, trust me, they'd He'd be, be out there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and just yeah. like we talked about last week, yeah. you know, if, they, if they had anybody on the street yeah. that was better, he'd be on the and, team. Uh, so. There are probably twenty five other teams that are, uh, yeah. are having the same conversation right now in uh, personnel. Guys, is there anybody <laughs> available that can help us protect our quarterback? But if I was Coach Bowles, 
or Byron, here's what I would do. I would platoon Gedeke. You know, I think we talked about this on a previous show. As long as you can keep the backup guys fresh, sometimes there isn't a huge drop-off. Mm-hmm. The drop-off really occurs when the lower talent gets fatigued. And now you have some Shaq Mason gets tired, he's still Shaq Mason. You know what I mean? And, and Tristan Wirfs gets tired, he's still Tristan Wirfs. Luke Gedeke, rookie, not expected to contribute, you know, on a Super Bowl caliber team, you know, and that's kind of why it's so magnified. Like his performances, you know, have even greater attention on him. It's because of who he's protecting and what's at stake. And I'm not really sure if it's every other series. Maybe it's Gedeke goes two, Hainsey goes one, you know, then Gedeke goes, you know, but I rotate them to try and keep both of them as fresh as possible. And if it looks like one of them's having a great game, then I just ride the hot hand. But you don't ever want a guy that probably shouldn't be participating as much as he is to sabotage the entire thing. Mm. And that almost happened on Sunday. because <laughs> I mean, he, but, and, and be honest, Grady Jarrett is an elite defensive lineman in his league. So it's not like, you know, he, he was going up against chopped liver. Does get a break next week. T.J. Watt won't be back. Had knee surgery, so he's gonna miss you more time. I think Pittsburgh's about to tank. Yeah, they're, yeah, um, they're in trouble. You know that Carolina defensive line. You just don't know how Derek Brown and Brian Burns and those guys are gonna react to Matt Rule being fired. You know, sometimes it invigorates the organization, and sometimes guys are like, "Well, it, you know, let me let me not get hurt the rest of the year." It seems like more times than not. I mean, even the teams that don't have a whole lot to play for were still in the first quarter of the season, but. Seems like some teams step it up and play a little bit harder under an interim head coach. I mean, we look back to the most of the time. I think it's a wake up call for. I I know the Bucks haven't fired a head coach in midseason, you know, in a couple in a couple of years. But uh, we look at Mike Smith getting let go during Dirk Cutter's last season here when. um, Oh, I'm blanking out of his name. Mark Duffner. Yeah, when Mark Duffner stepped up, that defense looked good that second half of the season after the departure of Smith. And they were winning some games down the stretch. So. It could be a tougher matchup than we initially thought, especially with Baker Mayfield now being hurt, his status up in the air. I saw, I saw that, and they were like, "Oh, PJ Walker will start versus the Panthers, I mean, yeah. versus the Bucks." I was like, "I'd rather play against Baker." Yeah, yeah, no <laughs> kidding, man. I mean, it's it's an even bigger question mark with PJ Walker and the Bucks' experience with uh, quarterbacks with his skill set. But keeping the conversation on the offense for Tampa Bay, wanted to talk about some of these other young players who have really stepped up and contributed. You look at this 2022 draft class, and honestly, you could go down the list, and it seems like every single one of these guys has a presence so far on this team. We just talked about Luke Gedeke, the second-round pick. Let's talk about the, I guess you could call him a first-round pick, but the first pick of the second round, defensive lineman Logan Hall. If I'm not mistaken, he's got two or three sacks already on the season. I mean, he's been productive, and I like what I have seen. And I think when you when you couple him with Joe Tryon, who looks like he's developing, I mean, it, it makes sense because at some point the allocation of resources is going to have to shift. Mm-hmm. And so what you love is for Tryon to eventually replace Shaq Barrett and Logan Hall to be able to handle the other side. And now you have two team-friendly contracts at a premium position because when Brady does leave, I mean, you're going to have to make some decisions about where you're going to spend this money. And I would imagine offensive line is going to be one of them. You know, I think uh, 
you know, we'll see. I mean, so yeah, I, I, I talked to the guys at Houston, uh, his college DC, Doug Belt, when I asked him about him, said he's unbelievably talented. I was like, uh, well, why no production at Houston? And he was like, well, because we moved him around too much. It was our fault. So they started him inside and then moved him outside and he never really got a chance to really cook. But, you know, Doug was adamant that he was worthy of where he was selected and that Tampa was going to be proud. So I'm glad to see that, uh, you know, Logan's starting to show, you know, uh, that explosiveness and that big playability that uh, – shout out to Jason Light too. I know he came in, you know, kind of unknown when he was awarded the GM job in Tampa. But when you really look at what he's done through free agency in the draft, I mean, he's been outstanding. Yeah, and he's been one of, I think, you know, probably over the last few years, obviously it helps having Tom Brady. But here's the thing. like He built a roster that was appealing enough to Tom Brady. So that was, you know, th- that's another tip in his cap. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you talk about um, Joe Tryon, Schwinka, then Logan Hall. The, the Bucks kind of you know have already started that you know Joe Tryanshawinka was drafted in 2021 okay they mm-hmm. had they had Jason Pierre Paul there in 2021 but then they decided to let Pierre Paul walk so then Joe Tryanshawinka could step into that role same thing kind of with with the Dominican Sue um, you know they have Logan Hall kind of stepping into the Dominican Sue's role there I know they still paid Akeem Hicks but it was a one year deal so you know I think they're hoping that you know then eventually Logan Hall and then they can let Hicks walk and they won't have to pay you know a premium for a defensive lineman because like you said you're going to have a guy three or four years under contract relatively cheap at a pretty important position so um, that's why they, you know, they always say the best thing to have in sports basically in football is a really like productive quarterback on a rookie contract because you can do so many things. Um, I think it's the same with the, with defensive linemen. If you have a cheap, talented defensive line, you can build a lot of other things around that. And I think that's what the Bucks are starting to learn now. They've really, honestly, the last two drafts, they hit it a little bit more. But before that, they didn't really hit too many defensive linemen. They didn't pick too many uh, besides Vita Vea. Other than that, they didn't really pick many edge rushers. Uh, they didn't really pick many interior guys. And now they're starting to, to figure that out. And I think both Logan Hall and Joe Tryon-Sharinka are continuing to develop. And, I mean, if they take another step, let's say midseason here, and then they're like by the playoffs, like, you know, they're really seasoned, it could be a game changer for the Bucks defense. It really could. I know we've spent some time praising the young guys, and we talk about Jason Light as well and his acquisition of talent these past few seasons. I don't mean to be the one to jump on here and criticize him, and by no means is that what I'm doing, but this is what some people have said. You know, we've talked about how good these last two draft classes have been as far as producing guys who can come in and contribute, find spots on this team. Well, considering this 2022 free agent class hasn't been awesome. I mean, let's mm-hmm. face it. You know, we, we kind of found out this week that Kyle Rudolph doesn't have a whole lot left in the tank. He's not the guy. Julio Jones, Todd Bull said today that, quote, uh, he has a high pain tolerance. So we know that he's really hurt, end quote. And we're coming into this season thinking he's healthier than he's ever been just for him to miss four straight games. So Julio Jones may not be the answer there for wide receiver three, wide receiver four. People talk about Russell Gage, but. To be honest, I just don't know if he's had like I don't know if he deserves quite as much criticism as the guys who are yeah. missing a bunch of games. To be to be fair to Gage, I mean well also, I mean, one thing, Gage is being paid a lot of money. 
And then two, he's also not being used the way I think he should be. I think he could be used a little bit better. So I think both things are true. He's being paid a lot of money. He's being dis and he's disappointing for the money. But also, I think the coaching staff could put him in a little bit of better spots uh, to get him a little more productive. Because like you well, saw, it <clears throat> let me put it all together in in my in my opinion. I thought Julio <clears throat> was basically Tom doing his homeboy a favor. <laughs> You know, like they've come, you know, Julio's been like a great person, great human, and great player for years. What is the one thing he does not have on his resume? Ring championship, mm -hmm. right? So you bring Julio here, you know, he's not gonna play a full season. He missed six, seven games last year right. in Tennessee. So you, I, I never expected him to be available more than maybe eight games. And I thought that those eight games would be end of the year not beginning of the year. When we talk about the deficiencies on the offensive line, to me, this is where the lack of production for guys like Russell Gage comes into play because Tom is pretty much taking the approach. I'm going to throw the ball to Leonard Fournette as much as possible. And when I do get aggressive and go down the field, it's going to be to Mike Evans. And then everything else, people just kind of, kind of finding their spots. You know, and that's Chris Godwin, that's Russell Gage, Kate Otten looks like he's becoming a part of what they're doing. Rashad White gets a couple. So, you know, I would put an incomplete on Russell Gage just because, right. you know, I don't think the offense has gotten to the point where they're capable of really taking advantage of some of the weapons because they're still unsure what they have up front. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, with and that, I mean, being, I mean, I mean, to be fair, I think you could be it's an incomplete on all these guys right now. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, like there there isn't, um, you know, like a lot of the guys like the best one's probably been what Logan Ryan probably. And he's been good. But like now he's hurt. So, yeah. Well, and that's the thing, too. You had mentioned the offense kind of not being where we know they can be. This isn't their peak with any season, even a Super Bowl winning season. Those teams have peaks and valleys. People talk a lot about the 2020 Bucks offense, but. They also seem to forget that team was seven and five at one point. So there are peaks and there are valleys. This team is going to figure it out. But what do you think the peak for this offense looks like this year? Because with the talent across the board, it's easy to say that on paper, this is a more talented roster than we have seen. But there's also the people saying the offensive line isn't the same. Brady looks distracted. And since he's not throwing three to four touchdowns a game, obviously it means this offense is not capable of doing great things. But Against the Falcons, I know they only put up 21 points, but everybody got a good look. It was one of their most offensively productive games of the season so far. Season high in just about every category. Yeah, I think um, the, the thing about it is that I think they can be good. They're not going to be as explosive. Uh, I, I don't, don't think they're going to be averaging 30 points a game. Yeah, no, like that, that's not going to happen. Um but I, I think because they want to be more efficient. They want to turn the ball over less, which, to be fair, they have. They have turned the ball over less. Um, they've turned the ball over much less. I mean, Tom Brady only has one interception on the season, uh, and that was week one. So uh, they, they want to turn it over less, and, and with that, that's going to mean less explosive plays. However, that doesn't mean the explosive plays are going to be completely gone. I think you're going to see that. Uh, and just like Sean King said, I, I don't think – this team is at its stride yet because they're still trying to figure out who they are. I think if they were fully healthy, I think by now they probably would have. Uh, 
but they're they weren't they weren't fully healthy they're just now you know godwin seems to be 100 good gage i don't know if he's 100 healthy but he's playing uh donovan smith now back and looks good so i think now they're gonna and maybe you see that around week seven week eight then maybe they start to really put it together because i think right now they're still trying to figure out who they are on offense what they want to be on offense because i mean you had the lead for 90 percent of the falcons game and you still threw the ball over 50 times so like what do you want to be as an offense and i think that's again the fourth quarter the reason they had a drive with 42 seconds and another drive with 36 seconds is because they don't really have that identity yet because they don't know it and i think that part of the reason they let the falcons back into that game we talked about the post game show was the offense it was the offense not being able to control the clock like you gotta, you gotta control the ball when you have a, a two possession lead like that. Um, and you, you can't stop the clock and give Atlanta free timeouts because it's just, it's not advantageous to you or your defense. And I think the best of this offense is yet to come. I just don't know if it's going to be what fans have grown accustomed to over the past few years. Well, let me say this <clears throat> for all the time. Don't send you a two week notice. You know, you don't get like a, letter termination in the mail and you got 30 days and you out of here, you know, like, so I think a lot of this is Tom trying to figure out where his fastball is at 45. I mean, to be fair, it looks fine to me, but yeah, I, you, you know, know, we, we saw him crank it at least twice targeting Scotty Miller, 45 yards downfield. So, I mean, the arm strength, if it has dropped off any, it isn't very much. So I don't know if the bucks are too worried about him making those throws as of now. And I don't know if Tony can't do it. I mean, you look at Justin Verlander. He can still hit 100, <laughs> but he only can do it in spots. You know, he can't do it for five innings like he used to. And, you know, hopefully Tom's got two, three years left. But, I, again, when you get 45, you're fight, every day you learn something new. And mentally how comfortable is he with what's in front of him? You know, as a quarterback, the psychological part doesn't get talked about a lot, but that matters. Like, it impacts you. You can see it impacting Joe Burrow. Like, mm-hmm. when did Cincinnati become a dink and dunk offense? Well, he got sacked 70 times last year. He on pace to break that this year. Now, all of a sudden, Burrow don't want to stand in the pocket and, and throw the ball down the field. It's all, you know, let me get rid of the ball quick. You know, let me, let me, you know, get the ball in my playmaker's hands. You know, so we'll see. So, I'm just saying that I think that's a part of the evolution of the offense as well. Is what is Tom comfortable with, with this group? Uh, physically, how does he feel from week to week? You know, if you notice on the camera, he seems to be, something's going on with that right hand. I don't know exactly what it is, but you can see him trying to, you know, stretch it out and, and either get rid of something or, or, or loosen something up. So, you know, you just have to watch everything, you know, you know this year because I think it's all got to organically come into play to win it all, which is the ultimate goal. And so my expectations, my opinions are always based on that ultimate objective. I don't look at, you know, this year's team through a prism of development or, you know, a building block for next year. I look at this year's team as this is the last year, this group as we know it is going to be together. Mm Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this one question before we wrap things up here. It has to do with the offensive philosophy under new head coach Todd Bowles. And 
I know you've heard the comparisons a lot so far this season because early on in these games, the offense still trying to figure it out, but they have not been spectacular like many people are used to. The defense has carried the load, so people are going to make comparisons to Tony Dungy Bucks ball from the late 90s where the offense wasn't known for being high-powered and you had a defense that had playmakers all over the place who could win you football games. As far as that being applied this year, you know, there's a ton of factors that go into it. Play calling, obviously, going to be something. Um, the Bucks not being able to convert with a quarterback sneak because they just have not tried it. You know, the fourth and one, a lot of people are going to be upset. Um, even the installation of more of an attempt at the running game with Leonard Fournette. I know you just paid your running back, but we have seen some more production from that position. Do you think this coaching staff is looking at this offense and they're trying to plan things out with the idea that, yeah, Tom Brady's 45 years old and we just do not want to put the abuse on him? Or do you look more at that incomplete offensive line that we had alerted to a little bit earlier in the show? Like, what do you think is the biggest factor for this Bucks coaching staff to kind of have this offense in the position that they do? Is it just a, a trial and error period? Uh, I think it's really figuring out, you know, what our limits are, you know, when you lose the type of talent on the interior line that they did, I mean, you got to figure out what do you have? Yeah. You know, when we had Ali Marpet, Ryan Jensen and, uh, Kappa, you could pretty much run, hurry up, no huddle all game because those guys could handle it mentally and they could physically execute it. You know, you could be in a lot of empty formations, you know, because you had a huge matchup advantage, size and talent with Gronkowski, you know. So now without those three guys and without Gronk, they're trying to figure out how to mesh. This is what Byron Leftwich is trying to do. How do the pieces fit so that I get guys in position to do what they're best at? And the only way you find that out with the way teams approach the preseason, which is no one plays, no one practices, is during the regular season, unfortunately. So I think what we're witnessing is the evolution of that process. You know, this is why I, I, I would, would hope moving forward that teams decide to actually use the preseason games what they are for you know, which is to iron all these kinks out. So that when we hit game one, <laughs> you know, we're operating at, at, you know, maximum output, but that's not how they do it now. So you figure it out as the season goes on. And I think that's where they're at. Yeah, I, I think, you know, as far as like the offensive philosophy and everything, like here's the thing, like you say, oh, you know, are they protecting Tom Brady because he's 45? Well, he just threw the ball over 50 times two straight weeks. So how much are you really protecting him? And if you have questions about your offensive line, like I think the Bucks are more confident in their offensive line than a lot of other people are. Um, I mean, and, and sure, like they, they should be. And I think the offensive line, honestly has held up better than I I thought it would early in the season. Uh, I thought there might have been some struggles, especially with some of the defensive lines they were going to be going up against. But, um, you know, the offense, it's it's like you said about there's some small things. It, it's the, the, the fourth and one. It's the inability to convert in the red zone, getting, you know, instead of field goals, turn them into touchdowns. It, it's those small things, you know, the third downs, which they were much better uh, on third down yesterday. Uh, than they have been in the previous four games, but um, it's just it, there's small things there that the offense can do better, and I think they will get it. You know, some of them ironed out. Like these are professional guys; I, they're still really talented. But um, 
when you lose, like you said, Ali Marpet was a Pro Bowl left guard. Ryan Jensen's a Pro Bowl center. Obviously, and you were expecting to have Jensen for this year. Like, you were expecting to have that Pro Bowl center, and you didn't. So, um, and then Alex Kappa was a good right guard. Yeah, you replaced him with Shaq Mason, who I also think is a good right guard. But um, it, it's it's tricky because you're trying to work in a lot of new pieces and now you're trying to work in a new running back in Rashad white. You're trying to work in a new receiver in Russell Gage. You're trying to work in two new tight ends really in Kate Otten and Kyle Rudolph. And then even not even mentioned Coquif. So stop uh, it, Evan, <laughs> stop it. Kyle Rudolph. That's a buddy, buddy favor again I too, know. man. Listen. <laughs> I know. I will say this about Rashad white. What you're seeing from that kid, is the floor of what he's capable of. Yeah, I think he's right. going to be pretty good. Yeah, I can tell that he's still mentally is still not processing fast. Like everything is because you want to be, <clears throat> excuse me, assignment perfect. You want to be technique, sound. And when your mind is like, okay, what's my footwork on this run? Okay, how deep is this pass route? Okay, who do I block? The talent doesn't really get to just you know, get to its optimum level. And once he really gets comfortable with what he's responsible for assignment-wise, I'm just telling you, that kid is super talented. Yeah, and, and I think the biggest takeaway for me when watching his game last week and this week is he's becoming more and more comfortable. And we knew it pre-draft and when they drafted him, but he's becoming more and more comfortable as a pass catcher. And uh, he's, he's making the extra move. I would actually see... I would give him a few early downs as well because I think right now he might be a better pass blocker than Fournette. Like, it's a pure pass blocker. I know, obviously, Fournette's got the size, which would help. Um, but I, I think you could give Rashad White a few, like, runs, you know, just to, to see, you know, on that fourth and one, maybe as a, a change of pace, a, a different look. Maybe well, you throw Rashad White in there instead of Leonard Fournette. And we saw the Bucks do that for a few drives. I mean, a couple series in a row in the third and fourth quarter – seemed like three or four drives in a row for sure he was in the game. There wasn't a whole lot of Leonard Fournette going on, but that also plays into wanting to keep your guys fresh towards the end of the year. You know, the Bucs just started paying Leonard Fournette. They paid him for three years, right around seven and a half million a year. You don't want to run a guy like that into the ground in the first quarter of the season. So when he vocalizes, hey, I'm going to need some of these other talented running backs to take the load off, it's good to see Rashad White stepping up into that role. And with him getting... Yeah. Hey, Rick, quick quick question. We talk about needing a replacement for Gedeke. Is getting a short yardage back something the Bucks need to do? For everything that I think Fournette is good at, I do not think he's good in short yardage situations. And Rashad White is definitely more of a third down back than he is a, a fourth and short back. Is it maybe something to going and getting a more powerful body, you know, for those situations? Obviously, Brady went from the best QB sneak guy in the league to at this age, not really, you know, looking like that's what he wants to do at this point. You know, that's a tricky thing physically now at quarterback when you go to sneaking. It's not all, you know, roses and perfume under there. Like, well, <laughs> now, real, real quick, one one note I wanted to make on the quarterback sneaks. I think that is a product of 
Gedeke being inexperienced, Hainsey yeah. being inexperienced. I think both of those are a big Well, even factor. look at the look at the fourth and one with Leonard Fournette. The reason that run failed is because there was no push at the None. line of scrimmage. They didn't win anything. Well, also, also, but get if, if Fournette falls forward, Gedeke had a little push. And yeah. Fournette yeah, yeah Fournette, that, that's not what Leonard is good at. Like, yeah. and you can tell when he runs in those situations, he not isn't he don't take like the no no risk it, no biscuit approach. Like he, he takes the he can't make everything better be quick perfect. Enough. Yeah, like yeah, he 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 can't in those situations he can't make the decision on what hole to hit quick enough, and it it, it costs them right there. So I mean, but honestly though, rather than adding a power back, yeah, we we think that Rashad White's more of that third down guy. But how about you, you give an opportunity? You know, see if, if maybe he can do it. See, I, I scouted. Like, I scouted him. I had him as my number two back in this draft, Evan, behind uh, Brees Hall. Mm-hmm. He's a converted wide receiver. Yeah, I, I like, know. He, I'm just saying, he try something different. Running. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I, I mean, don't, you know, I think you yeah. could just try it. That, 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 that's all. Hey, uh, um, Sean, I don't know if you know this, but there's another running back on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers roster, and it is Evan's favorite player on the team. Why not give Keyshawn Vaughn a look? I know he's not. I know he's not the bowling ball presence you want out of a short yardage back, but uh, he didn't find some success at the end of the year last year, filling in with, you know, the depleted roster they had. I mean, I'm all for it. I mean, size doesn't make you a great short yardage back. Like, I think the kid in Kansas City, Pacheco, is yeah. a great short yardage back mm-hmm. because he runs with such power. Damian Pierce in Houston. Not a huge guy, but he runs with low center gravity, very hard to tackle in one-on-one situations. So Keyshawn could fit that role. You know, I just was bringing up, you know, and see what people want to say in the comments and what their opinions are as they listen to it. You know, should we start identifying somebody for that specific, you know, aspect of offensive football? Because we're going to be in those situations. And And regarding quarterback sneaks, I wouldn't do it. Only time I would QB sneak is if it was in a hurry up situation and they were off. We caught them off guard. I'm right. not getting up. I'm not getting up there with them 300 pounders and four point stances. Hell no. <laughs> That's why we pay running backs. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, anyways, uh, you know, but before we head out, it's important to remember the Bucks won this game. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. With that, they're they're three and two. They're two and zero oh in the division now, which may be even more important. You know, being at two and zero oh in the division uh, is always a positive thing. Have a chance to go three and zero oh in a few weeks, but uh, really quick, uh, Sean, just a little, you know, thirty seconds a minute. Looking ahead to this matchup against the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, you know, it's a, it could be a tough road game. Uh, you know, I think after getting embarrassed like that on the road, you know, for, for Pittsburgh. Teams don't, you know, you don't like to be embarrassed. Right? They're professionals. I think a lot of teams, you say, even if the talent level is not there, they'll come out, play with a little bit more fire next week. Kenny Pickett's home debut as the starter. So what are you expecting from that matchup in Pittsburgh? Well, I mean, the NFL is the number one product because of its parity. Mm. Like it's the only professional sports league where every team from year to year, thinks that they can turn it around in one offseason off because of the salary cap. I think about the enthusiasm and excitement down in Jacksonville before Sunday's game. Yeah. Like, they were talking about winning the AFC South. Like, we got all the pieces we need. And the Texans come in, haven't won a game. And, hey, you don't show up with your A game, and guess what? You get your butt kicked. Mm-hmm. Having said that, Pittsburgh's a dumpster fire right now. Like, and, you know, it's just – it's amazing – 
how much one player can change a defense, and they just aren't very good without T.J. Watt. When T.J. Watt's there, I mean, he elevates everybody around him. He hides a lot of the warts that exist. But, again, they match up with Tampa better than they have with some of their most recent opponents because Brady is not an athletic make-guys-miss quarterback. If you go back and look and break down uh, Josh Allen and Zach Wilson, they were able to avoid the rush, extend some plays, you know, and, and, you know, create some explosive stuff off of that. You know, the big deal with Kenny Pickett is, and the Jets game wasn't his fault, but it still is what it is, is he's turned the ball over a lot. You know, he throws a lot of balls up for grabs. Uh, George Pickens has made some plays. Deontay Johnson has made some plays. So it'll be a big week for Jamal Dean, Carlton Davis, Sean Murphy, Bunton, and those guys playing the ball in contested situations down the field because he is going to take some chances. You know, he is going to be aggressive. And um, if they can catch some of those balls like the last two defenses have done, you know, give Tom and that offense some extra possessions, then we should be okay. Yeah, and all those guys you just mentioned as well, Mike Edwards could be lumped into there. They're going to pop up on the injury report this week after leaving Sunday's game, so it'll be something to monitor. But should be a great game, and uh, I know they don't have T.J. Watt, and they got a rookie quarterback, but Pittsburgh is usually a tough place to play, so it could be an interesting road test for this Buccaneers team looking to keep the ball rolling. But ladies and gentlemen, that's just about going to do it for this week's episode of the Cannon Fire Podcast. Thank you so much for checking us out over on YouTube or listening on any of our audio sources. Follow the show on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of those are Cannon Fire Podcast. Best place to go for updates on the show and, of course, Buccaneer news as it happens. Speaking of box news as it happens, you can follow my co-host Evan on Instagram, Bucks underscore daily, the number one Buccaneers fan page on Instagram. You can also find him on Twitter at EvanNFL and check out his written work at BucksNation.com. Sean King, where can the people find you, follow you, and check out your awesome content? I got to send you all my stuff because you, you express I, it so much more eloquently <laughs> than I can. You well, know you, I mean? honestly, I've been on the same – like when I when I do this outro script, I've been saying the same thing at the end of the show for three, four years that like I don't even think about it. I could probably hey, hey. mess up a word and not even notice at this rate. Evan, he got the neck position and everything. <laughs> and next to the stage. Yeah, yeah, he's uh... <laughs> <laughs> Well, you guys can find me uh, on Twitter at Real Sean King, um, on Instagram uh, at Coach Sean King, and then I have a television show from three to six Pacific Monday through Friday on Vsin V S I N. You can uh, download that app or you can watch it on YouTube television, Fubo, or Hulu. Last but not least, you can find myself, Instagram, and Twitter at Redicus, R-H-E-T-T, A-K-U-S. If you follow me, I will follow you back. But that's the show, folks. (laughs) (laughs) It all fits together so perfectly, man. All right, fellas. Y'all enjoy your week. You too, boss. Appreciate your time. Ladies and gentlemen, I am your host, Rhett Matthew, signing off for my co-host, Evan Wanish and Sean King. We'll talk to you in the next one. Until then, and as always, go Bucks. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.